Hello and welcome to Empire Builders, the place for entrepreneurs, business owners and experts who want to build an epic empire. I'm Nick James and thanks for joining me here today. In today's episode, we have an extremely rare live interview recorded with one of the UK's best known entrepreneurs and business personalities, Lord Sugar. Let's get straight into it. Yeah. Lord Sugar, yeah. welcome to Business Empires 2017. Yeah. It's a pleasure to have you here. We've got every different kind of business you could possibly imagine in this room. Sure. Uh, what I'd like to start with is what advice would you give to a startup, someone who is just getting started in business, their first time out the gate, what's the thing they should be focusing on most, do you think? Well, I, I think the most important thing is, is that anybody wants to start a business. They've got to start a business that they have some knowledge of. So <laughs> yes. you can't just simply jump out of bed on a Monday morning and think, well, I'd like to be in this or that business. So I think the most important thing is just to have experience in it. Now, normally that experience means that you've been working for somebody, you've attained some experience in that industry, and then you're going to take that leap um, to um, go and do it yourself. So only go into a business that you understand yourself, one that you've been familiar with yourself. Um, so that that's the most important thing. I get so many people who, I mean, things, some, certain sectors of, of business get a bit fashionable sometimes and people who know nothing about them decide that they want to get involved in it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the famous person, the famous question I had once from a Q&A from a young fellow was that A, he claimed he was an entrepreneur um, and uh, he wanted to know how he could start up an airline. <laughs> so there's an example of someone that uh, you know really I didn't have any experience in it. Yeah. Once you've found a business, you've discovered the business that you experienced in that you want to begin. Then what do you think the key focus areas are next? Well, I think you know. I mean, I'm going from my own experience, and every business is different because you have businesses which are what I would call the service industry, right, where there's no physical item or piece of stock or product that you actually can touch and feel, but you're, you're, you're providing a service. There, um, the startup of, of one of those things requires patience in the sense that you have to wait until your first deal comes in, that you've got your, 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 your revenue starts to flow through. If you're in a different type of business, providing a service such as uh, construction or, 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 uh, or physically selling a product, making a product, cakes or whatever it is, then again, you need to focus on the size of the market and who your target customer is. I've always done a quick calculation on the back of a, what, what used to be a fag packet, <laughs> but uh, uh, every month really, uh, before... I got into more sophisticated management accounts, but I think it's very, very important that you have a wake-up call every month to see how you're doing and set yourself targets uh, and get angry and annoyed with yourself if you do not 
reach those particular targets. So I always had targets to hit. Um, and if I didn't reach them, I had to make sure that the following week I compensated for the loss in, in that week. So as silly as it might sound, weekly reconciliation if you're a small business, monthly reconciliation if you're a big business. Even now, all of our big businesses, are, uh, we have to look at the accounts every single month to see where we're going. Of course, one of the mistakes I think we see most often in candidates on the apprentice is uh, the numbers, looking at the numbers, knowing the numbers, working out beforehand what it costs to produce, what are you going to sell it for, what the margins are. Um, and I think that point just reinforces it. Yeah. So for a business that's maybe more established, they're already potentially doing six, seven figures in annual sales, what do you think the most important areas to focus are in order to scale a business like that, to maybe take it to multi-seven, eight figures in revenue? I mean, we've got how many people here today? 400, 400. There'd be 400 different categories of business here. Sure. And your question is unanswerable uh, in the sense that you can't, can't tailor it for 400 people, really. Sure. Uh, it's a kind of a, a, a question that no one could answer. You're saying, you know, I've got a business that's already turning over £9 million. How can I turn over £90 million? Well, I don't know what your business is. Sure. Um, and, you know, scaling up is, 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 is sometimes dangerous. Uh, you have to be careful of the uh, um, outside influences on the market. I've always, I've always worked on organic growth, really, rather than go for the big, you know, giant leap. And we... Everything I've ever done in, in my business career is created by organic growth. So, in other words, the orders, the appetite in the market that I'm receiving at the moment, I found a way to supply it. Yeah? Uh, and rather than try and jump, uh, you know, I don't think it's possible. I just think it's organic growth for making sure that you're in, uh, you know, you're keeping up with the market trends. I suppose it's what you just said, even as a startup or a more advanced business, having patience and not trying to rush it so that you end up well, over-trading. No, yeah. no, no, I mean, patience is one thing. I mean, you can't be too patient. <laughs> You've got to be ambitious uh, and aggressive and all that stuff. But I think the point you're making, you tried to make, was how do I badly go... Badly, by the way. Yeah, badly, yeah. Um, <laughs> How do I go from nine, 9 million to 90? And it's a, you know, and I just answered you that I, I'd prefer to do it by what I call organic growth. And um, yeah. Note to self, question two sucked. So uh, when, um, like, you've had a long, very long, very successful business career, business journey, um, what have been some of the toughest experiences, failures, what have been the big learning experiences you've had along the way? Yeah, I mean, you're right. And I don't know any business at all where they haven't had a problem, you know, a, a, a really bad problem and bad issue. I mean, we get problems every single day uh, in, in, in our business, um, but they're, they're minor, minor hiccups. But major problems, I mean, I had one once going back in 19... I can't remember when it was, 1990s, something like that, uh, or late 89s, where a whole range of computer products um, 
didn't work, basically. There was a major fault uh, in them, and it was catastrophic. Uh, and, it, you know, and we had to adapt very, very quickly to get out of it. Um, and fortunately, we did. Um, and you learn in that particular, in, in that particular uh, example, in my industry, what was learnt that we needed more engineering and design effort up front and we were running too thin on the engineering, being too mean, if you like, on not having enough investment up front to make sure that the product that we were, we were going to bring out was going to be perfect. Uh, and that was because prior to that, uh, we'd been very successful with that kind of development team. But when we went to that giant leap in technology, uh, we didn't leap in, in, in putting on some more electronic engineers and designers with a more kind of expertise than the current ones that we had. Yeah. Sure. And um, we've got a room full of people here who are avid learners. They attend seminars because they want to learn how to grow business. They read a lot of books. They study a lot of um, experts, if you like. Um, who do you or who did you? Uh, who inspired you? Who, uh, who educated you? Who gave you your... No, your... Yeah. Um, the, not really many people, I have to say. Um, <laughs> uh, only until... I got to a kind of a higher level of business on my own. I got to the, a, a, level, a big level of business when I floated the company on the stock market in 1980. Um, and there I met other people who, who were inspiring, like Arnold Weinstock, for example, the chairman of GEC, General Electric, a very, very clever uh, person and, uh, you know, that, that was quite inspiring. Rupert Murdoch, my friend, I, I, I mean, you, a lot of people don't like what he stands for because of his newspapers and all that stuff, but his business acumen is, is, is excellent, you know, so they're, they're to be admired. Richard uh, Branson, you know, another friend of mine, um, He's got a completely different technique of, of growing his businesses and he's done extremely well and you, you can't help but uh, uh, admiring what he's done. Um, but uh, I don't think there was any... <clears throat> I think in the early days when I started there were small or medium-sized manufacturers that you looked up to uh, and uh, of, of electronic products and slowly but surely from organic growth, I kind of overtook them. So the ones that I admired, or I won't say admired, wanted to replicate, um, I, I did what they were doing and then did a bit more. And then I overtook them. And then I think they started to admire me more to, more to the point, you know. Sure. Um, yeah, and I, the man that actually kicked off and started me in business uh, with the first... Uh, loads of electronic components died unfortunately six months ago and um, you know he he was in Tottenham Court Road in a component shop and I went there and I bought my first 50 quids worth of uh, 48 pounds worth of uh, stuff from him and he uh, it, Ronnie Marks he, he's the guy that actually sold them to me you know simple as that um, so anybody else who claims that they started me off was lying. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm sure there's a long list. Yeah. Uh, what do you see as the, the future 
we're in a, of course, at the moment, you know, we're in a, uh, uh, an unpredictable economic climate. Brexit looms. What do you see as the, the, the likely outcome or how business trends might change for UK businesses in the next five years? Yeah, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I have absolutely no idea of what the impact is going to be. And that's simply because the politicians have absolutely no idea <laughs> uh, of what they're doing at the moment. Um, in, in the uh, Brexit situation. And that's because, to be fair, it's never been done before. Um, I think it was done by Greenland once. They came out of the European community and it took them about six or seven years to actually settle down. And all they had was one industry and that was fish fi fishing. That was it. And look at what we've got. I, I think we're in a terrible terrible, vulnerable situation at the moment. I wish the public hadn't voted for the exit because uh, I, I don't know what uh, the outcome is going to be, and neither do the politicians. And in fact, my best advice to Theresa May would have been that when she called that uh, election earlier this year, that she virtually lost. If I was her, you know what I would have done? With the Brexit thing looming, I would have said to him, Jeremy, here's the keys of number 10, mate. <laughs> Leave it to you. You sort out the Brexit thing, and in five years' time, when you've screwed it all up, we'll come back in and run the country. <laughs> because I, I, I would have loved, I'd love to throw the ball in his court and said, you know, you get on with it because um, you're clueless and everything else. Uh, I, I really would have thrown the gauntlet down there. And unfortunately, she, um, she's carrying on and doing it. But I, I would have given up. I would have handed it over and said, you get on with it and we'll be back in power when you've screwed it up in, in four or five years' time. It is going to be a mess, I'm afraid. If you, look at the, if you look at the situation at the moment, just think about it. Just think about it carefully. There's 27 other countries that were minding their own business last year, and suddenly we said to them, actually, we want to leave. And they must have said, well, all right then, you want to leave, we don't like you leaving, but it's not a good idea. But actually, we didn't ask you to leave, you are asking us to leave. So when you come to the negotiating table, there's, we have no incentive really, other than to ensure that your exit is A, pay your bills, the last lot of bills of what you owe, them, what you owe and B, we'll sit down and negotiate what's good for us, not good for you. So we're on a loser there, whatever happens, okay? Um, and then when it's all finally done and dusted and the, the population as a whole will, will sit around and say, bloody hell, this is horrible. Which is my opinion anyway. Bloody hell, this is horrible. Why did we do this? Why did we do that? And the government is going to be blamed for a poor negotiation. So... She's on a hiding, whichever which way you look at it, right? It's not going to be complimented. It's going to be a mess. And uh, she's on a hiding there. And I have no idea whatsoever how they're going to do it. Uh, um, you know, life is going to be 
completely different for us. It's never been done before on such a scale. Uh, and um, not good. I, I don't think it's, it's good to bet. Will it affect business? I don't know. Um, I don't know. Uh, it depends. It depends on the tariffs, whether we get... I mean, obviously, I would expect a free trade deal. In other words, to allow free circulation of goods. If they were sensible, the other 27 would say yes to that immediately without any forms of tariffs between us. Because if we started talking about tariffs, then it really is a nightmare. And what I mean by tariffs is duties payable on products that we uh, manufacture, that we bring in and out of the country. Um, yeah, so if we can get that one done, that would be a good thing. Then there'd be no change uh, to business. Whether the financial community, the banks, are threatening, some of the banks are threatening to move out and all that stuff. I don't know whether they're doing it or not. Because um, London, you know, was a great central financial um, place to be. And, uh, you know, the American companies and Japanese companies used, came to England as their base in Europe. Let's open it up to the floor, shall yeah. we? Before we do, a couple of notes. The purpose of you being here is to learn how to grow your business. So I believe that the best use of the remaining time we have left is to ask Lord Sugar questions that are going to support you and the room in growing their business. It's probably not that useful to learn about the behind-the-scenes antics on The Apprentice. Well, I don't think that's going to be very valuable to you or to anybody else in this room. So let's keep the, let's keep the questions business-focused, business-related. Uh, raise your hand if you have a question, and I'll direct microphones to you. Let's start off with Ryan Pinnock, shall we? In the back, one of our wonderful speakers. Round of applause for Ryan. <laughs> Ryan, what have you got for Lord Sugar? Hi, Lord Sugar. Um, I'm at the stage in my business where we're recruiting and uh, the team's expanding a little bit now. We're getting to about nine or ten people. And uh, through various mistakes over the last 18 months, I've learned that recruiting the wrong people is uh, a massive step backwards. What are some of the key things you're looking for in people when recruiting? Well, I don't know. What, what, what business are you in? Uh, in? In events. We actually do trainings. Oh, and, right. um, so service-based. Well, obviously, one looks for people that have experience in, in, that, in that industry. I don't know whether you're trying to recruit junior people and to train them uh, or whether you're trying to repute, recruit people that already have the experience. I know in my early stages of recruiting people that I was looking for someone that really had the contacts and the experience. And, of course, um, they weren't cheap, right? Um, so you've got to be prepared to pay if you want experience. And then, of course... You know, sitting across the table, talking to somebody, reading their CVs and all that stuff is one thing. You don't get to know them until you've actually been working with them for three months or so. What I would say to you is, is that if you're not happy after three months, get rid of them. Uh, but make it clear uh, up front with the, with the employee. I mean, let's not spring it upon them. But I would say, let's be fair. Let's get together and let's get this job. You take this job on and after three months we'll sit down again and we'll decide whether, um, you know, we're going to continue. Now, it may be difficult, of course, to impose that kind of condition on somebody that 
is a professional that is experienced that has to give its past, its past, he or she's past employee four months notice or something, and then says, well, I, you know, I can come and join you in April. And then when they come in April, you throw them out in, uh, in July. But I think you have to be mercenary, quite honestly. You want the best people for your business. Now, if you want somebody who wants to learn, then it's up to you to understand whether the person that they've got, you've got, is actually absorbing stuff. And within three months, you'd be able to suss that out, I should imagine, whether this person's switched on, he's got it, or he or she has got it. Uh, if they haven't, cut your losses even less than three months, yeah? Especially on the learning side, you can normally tell if someone gets the plot within a month or so, yeah? And they're the right ethos of person. Thank you very much. Great Appreciate question. It. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you. Uh, James, since you've got the microphone back there, James, you've got a question? Hello, everyone. Hello, Alan. So the question I want to ask is you've actually got a very big profile, and I would like to know how much your profile has helped your business career, and why have you – because you've invested, obviously, a lot of time in building your profile. Has that been done on purpose, um, or did it just happen by accident? Yeah, and profile's got sod all to do with my success, I've got to tell you, Okay. Um, and uh, so to any budding entrepreneur who wants to be on who, you know, on whatever it is, that jungle show and all that <laughs> stuff, uh, to think it's going to make you popular. Uh, you know, you never, I don't know how old you are, sir. 32. 32. Okay, so before you were born, um, uh, I was already um, a, a public company owner and chairman, Okay. And I had no profile other than a profile in the city yeah. for somebody who was, you know, 30 years old that came from Hackney and built up a business, right? So I didn't go out of my way to create my profile. My profile was created for me by other commentators that were looking in. Very interesting to see this young chap from Hackney uh, suddenly have a company with market capitalization of 1.2 billion and it went on from there really um, so it's the profile is, is, is doesn't help at all as I keep telling my um, some uh, um, the, some of my people um, in the current businesses that I have for example they one of the companies wants to try and get into BT to sell them something it's gone you could do it Lord Sugar, because your profile. And I said, yeah, I can pick up the phone to the chairman of BT, certainly. Does it help? No. Because he puts me on to Jobsworth number one, who then puts me on to Jobsworth number two, who puts me on to Jobsworth number five. And the time you get down the line to Jobsworth number 10, they've got the raving hump that, the, that I've been speaking to the boss so it's not invented here. So it's actually counterproductive, um, uh, and 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 it never seem, never seems to work really. So I can get into restaurants easily. <laughs> <laughs> That's about it. I'll give you that one. I okay. just want to say congratulations on your success, sir. Okay. Right. What else you got? Oh, as an aside, I forgot to mention. Um, this is also not Dragon's Den. It is not your opportunity to pitch for investment into your business idea. This is questions specifically relating to what you can learn from Lord Sugar and what the rest of the room can learn about growing businesses. So who would like to go next? There's so many people. Let's go to gentlemen here in the front in the suit. Tyrone, I believe. 
Hi, Lord Sugar. Um, I have a question, and it's um, it's regarding systems and processes. So, we have um, a lot of people in our group that are at the eight-figure business level. They're all in e-commerce, so they're all selling physical products. Some of them are consumer electronics as well. Now, a big bottleneck for them has been documenting their systems and processes and building out their team. And what I would like to ask you is, um, how did you document your systems and processes when you were at the eight-figure level? And how did that help you to scale to nine figures and beyond? Well, I, I think that um, it's all very well talking about documenting systems and processes. You can write, you know, with the greatest respect, you can write a system and process, but at the end of the day, you can't write a system and process that tells somebody how to be a natural salesperson. You know, um, you know here's the process. We make goods... We buy components, we put them on a production line, we test them, we make sure they're okay, we advertise them on TV, we, now we try to sell them to Dixons and Curry's, okay? That's the process. But the end bit is the killer. That's the one that no piece, no process, no piece of paper, no reading the book uh, on how to do it is going to solve it. You, someone's got to have that skill to be able to sell and project the product to the end customer. But process in manufacturing is obviously something very, very important, particularly with uh, the added obstacles that have come in in the past 30 years of health and safety and all those kind of regulations and CE regulations as far as the equipment is concerned. So the process has evolved. Uh, mainly due to bureaucracy, I've I found anyway, you know, um, that factory's got to be laid out correctly, the product itself has got to be compliant in certain respects to um, pollution, uh, recyclable, and all that type of thing. So, yeah, you can see it. I've got quite a few jobs, but that's all they do all day long, is write out processes of what the rest of the staff have to stick to. And they don't, they're not very popular people, <laughs> so then it's more about um, finding somebody with the proper skill set and then just delegating that task yeah they're, they're a special beast those people yeah that enjoy doing that and I, and I think that this environment has uh, that we live in now is uh, there's certainly a growing a growing field for them yeah for process management yeah okay thank you thank you uh, right next question in fact because he's close uh, let's Michael right Yep, so uh, Charlie, can we get the microphone to Michael? Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Alan. It's Michael Calasparis. Just a quick question. Um, in my life recently, my son was made severely disabled, and it's cre created a sort of limiting belief on myself. I've done all right recently, um, and I'm just wondering, because of that, I wanted to ask you about, have you ever experienced limiting belief? Because you're extremely... Sorry? Have what? you ever experienced limiting beliefs at all for, in your your own growth. I, I, I'd like to answer your question, but I don't understand what limiting beliefs Limiting, are. limiting. Limiting beliefs. Lim, limiting beliefs, as in, um, as in you, you feel like you, 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 you can't do something. Um. <laughs> I, I'm going to help. I'm getting it now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> I'm, I'm finding it very hard to. Yeah, where you where you feel that you you want to get to a goal, but you feel that you can't get there. That something's holding you back. Well, I mean, belief. you always do that. I mean, obviously, in my business, you know, one wanted to, you know, take over IBM, for example. That could have been a dream. Uh, but uh, but you have to be realistic of what you can do, what's achievable, and what you can't do. Really, yeah. yeah. I'm not, if that answers your question, I, I I don't know. I mean, you know, if you come sometimes get stuck with a problem, you have to solve it. Uh, and if you believe in yourself that you can do it, as long as something is physically possible to do, uh, then then you can do it. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, let's go to Saj since he's sat next to you. Hello, Lord Sugar. Uh, I've been a fan for a very long time, and my uh, university thesis in the early 90s was based on your businesses. Um, one thing you I'm must really have got keen a two on. Then, didn't say you? again? You must have got a 2 1 then when you came out. <laughs> it was actually a 2 2, but I don't talk about it that much. Okay. <laughs> you must have picked so, the wrong business then. Um, one, one of the things that I'm, uh, I think is really important is the skill of uh, trading, being able to buy and sell, which is what you've done amazing well over the years. But what do you think is very different in terms of doing that today? So my 16-year-old son, I'm trying to encourage him to just learn Nothing. to trade There's by no himself. Difference. No difference whatsoever. The only thing that's changed is, you know, the, uh, the categories of products or services, you know. But it, the, the salesmanship is very, very important. And once it's in you, it's in you. It doesn't matter what it is you're selling, you know. You're selling a service, you're selling a product. You have to have that skill. Now, there are some people could never sell, um, you know, uh, they're just incapable of selling uh, at all because it's just not in them. And that's fair enough. And, um, and that's answering the gentleman at the back's question there, that if he was hiring salespeople, he would see that immediately, um, you know, within a couple of weeks that they're completely useless. But if they have an acumen for selling, then it can be applied to anything, really, to, to any business. But one which I would say, uh, hopefully, the person themselves is interested in. One of the things that helps you sell is your enthusiasm for the product and understanding of the item that you're selling. Yeah, and it's very difficult to sell something that you're not confident in. Yeah. Thank you. Well, let's mix it up a bit. Let's go to uh, if we can get Mark at the very back. Have it there. Hello, Lord Sugar. Uh, my question is about leadership and direction. So as a visionary yourself, how far in advance do you think? How do you personally plan your year or your quarter? What is your process for looking at where your business is going and how you plan that specifically? Well, as I said earlier on to someone else, I think it's a question about growth, you know, um, and it's always been organic growth. The planning of a, of a, of, of a year ahead for... for me and my businesses is very simple. We are in that particular business. We're in that uh, in that market, and um, there's nothing different changes from one year to the other, as far as I, as far as I'm as far as I'm concerned. Talk about planning. Are you talking about planning my personal agenda? No, I'm, I'm talking in in business. What specifically are you looking to create or improve on a year by year basis? What are the specifics? Well, you're yeah, to I mean, we have on? to, for example, in electronics, for example, we have to continue innovating. Um, so we set targets for designers and uh, our engineers to innovate new products to keep up with technology to make sure that um, we're not falling behind. 
um, yeah, customers, um, after sales service, look at the bad things about your business, things that you that are not that you're not that are not going so well, and try and fix them and all that stuff. I don't think there's this kind of a set format of what we're going to lay down to do. It's to me, it's quite logical. Perhaps I'm not explaining myself correctly at the moment, but it's because it's so logical for me to, to say that there is no plan. The plan is to continue to grow, to fix, to develop, and to bring out new products. Thank you. All right, who's next? Uh, let's, come uh, let's come down to this lady here in the front. If we can get a mic quickly, please. This lady in the front. Uh, what's your name? I'm Tara Howard. Um, my question to you is, what do you find most difficult about being an entrepreneur? Nothing. Really. <laughs> <laughs> Answering questions that I've got no answers to, for example. <laughs> Um, I get distracted by shiny new objects, for example, um, and find it hard to focus on one thing. There must be something, Lord Sugar, that is a struggle. Well, I don't like jelly deals. <laughs> I, think we, I think that's um, no disrespect, man, but I think that someone else needs to answer the question. Because uh, cool, so uh, let's go to uh, Ranjit here in the front, if we can just pass the mic along here. So Ranjit, thank you. Thank you. Evening, Lord Sugar. Um, we've heard over the last couple of days that passion drives success. Uh, what I'd be really interested to know is over the many products, many years, many industries you've worked in, what's the one thing that made you smile more than anything else in the morning and gave you a spring in your step? Yeah, I mean, that's an excellent question. You know what, you, you know what would, in my co-director, we, we both had the same thing you know we would invent a product uh, and we'd watch the evolution of it go through the development stage and as it rolled off the production line and you saw it for example in curries for the first time that was it done that was the moment that you saw it there and it's gone now next one you know, and that's the kind of thing that drove drove me and my colleagues along. You know, we we, we, we sat on an aeroplane. I remember sitting on an aeroplane once, flying from um, uh, Seoul in Korea to uh, Hong Kong, which was a four-hour flight, and it was Cathay Pacific Airways. And it's a shame I never kept it, but it was. Uh, and I was sitting next to my chief engineer. And the Cafe Pacific serviette, right? We designed one of our best-selling products, uh, and how it would look, and how it wouldn't look, and what we should do. And it was on this serviette, and we jumped off the plane um, into our Hong Kong office. And within um, two days, we had a full set of drawings uh, from the engineers of this product that changed its evolution, changed its, you know, from. From sitting on the plane, the shape of it changed to something else. And within, you know, four or five months, prototypes were made. And I think we must have sold, I don't know, five million of this word processor, uh, which kind of changed the world 
1983 or 1982 where everybody chucked their typewriter away and bought one of these things. That was designed on a Cathay Pacific plane. So you can imagine the buzz when you see that thing come off the line and actually in the stores and selling like crazy, like really selling like crazy. I mean, people queuing up in Tottenham Court Road uh, to buy it and walking off. I remember BBC had showed clips of this like as if it was epidemic as if we were giving away you know pound notes for a shilling or something or for for 10 pence or something you know so that gives you a buzz passion yeah and then you want to do it again yeah very nice who's next what else we got let's go to uh, azana in the second row if we can get a microphone to azana please hi this is azana just got and my question is if you manage or lead your younger employees differently to the way you treat the older generations? Like, if you treat the 20-year-old differently to a 40-year-old person? No, not, not really. Um, it depends what, 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 what job they've got to do, you know? I mean, what, why would one treat them differently? Uh, obviously, they lack, they lack uh, perhaps experience, so you have to be a little bit more patient with them, or you might have to um, be a bit more stronger with them in directing them in, in certain circumstances. As people mature and grow up, um, the older generation don't, you know, don't tend to make silly mistakes, so to speak. But it's good to watch young people and tell them what not to do, uh, rather than what to do. Uh, no, so they're not treated any differently. In fact, it's the young people that are the, the, the future of, uh, of, of our business, particularly in this ever-moving technological market. Uh, it's quite fascinating to watch, um, you know, what these youngsters can do. Yeah, so Thank we you. like to employ lots of them, actually. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, let's go. There's a lady who's been waving at me for like the last 10 minutes in the middle at the back. Can we get a microphone to her, please? There you go. Thank you. Um, hello, Lord Sugar. Um, just off the back of the questions that just came in very recently about people within the organisation, in terms of um, managing people, this obviously takes a bit of investment and time. And I would like to ask you the question, in your opinion, how much time should a good manager or a good um, owner of a business spend investing in the time with the people? How much what? Sorry, how much time? So how much time should a good manager invest in developing and growing uh, their staff? Uh, I'm, I'm, did, you, did you hear the question? How much time should you invest in developing your staff? as a manager, a leader? Well, you, all your time, really. I mean, that's what you're doing. You're in communication with your staff all day long, every day, uh, for, you know, the whole working uh, time of the company, really. Um, you can't obviously talk to every single one of them, uh, but you have management levels and tiers of management who deal with people. Uh, so me as a the chief, so to speak, is in total contact all day long with senior managers. Thank you. Okay, let's come up. I feel like I might have neglected you this side. So, gentleman in the front row here on this side, please. Well, Sugar, good afternoon. 
Um, I was one of the purchasers of the, the, the revolutionary word processor. You're not going to tell me that the printer doesn't burn now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, it was, it's, I can't get the ribbons, actually. That's the <laughs> yeah, that's right. The, um, ribbons, the ribbons are hard to get now, 40 <laughs> years later. Yeah. That was a truly revolutionary product, and it mm. really came out of nowhere. My question uh, for myself and for the room, really, I hope, is where sh where's the line drawn between being a real innovator and a market maker and pushing your luck too far? And so w should, should new companies follow a market and operate within a market, or should they dare to try and create a new market? Where, if there's a line there, where is it? Well, the line normally is is if you've tried and and and, and failed, uh, I suppose. Um, as far as innovation is concerned, um, it depends on the appetite of the consumer um, as to whether they they they, they pick it up. Um, you know, in my business, um, you know, we can always talk about these great products. Uh, we don't tend to talk about the ones that didn't didn't work, but we made quite a lot that didn't work, that uh, the products that didn't actually sell in big volume. And of course, you don't talk about them a lot. But fortunately, we had more winners than losers. So the line is that in that in that particular instant is is that you've crossed maybe crossed the line then trying to be too innovative in this particular product. And the, the public don't understand it. That's what you think. Um, and it failed. So I suppose you learn, you, you learn from that. And having said that, um, sometimes you can cross the line and you think you've failed and you give up too quickly. And there's something called a... a um, something called a... a phone... Right, which we invented years ago. Um, we, called, we called it a pen pad. Uh, and unfortunately, due to my impatience, um, because it didn't sell a million pieces in the first week, exaggerating there, of course, but I, we canned it. We, we said that we stopped it. And then it, it evolved. Other, pe other people brought out products afterwards. One was called the... Um, Pilot or something like that. I can't remember. Palm Pilot, yeah, uh, and all that stuff. And then, of course, it evolved into mobile phones. And we look back, and we've got prototypes still in our uh, in our archives. And people, some of the older employees, uh, we look at it every time. We nod our head. What did you give it up for? What did you do that for? You know. Um, so. No, I think you shouldn't think of a line. I think you should think you should carry on innovating and uh, and just and just try as hard as you possibly can. In my case, there are some products, some ideas that we just threw in the towel too early. Yeah, uh, and that was because of the great success we had in 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 previous eras, previous years, thinking that it's going to carry on. Uh, and of course it didn't. There's competitors that, that catch up and all that stuff. Alright, we've got time for a few more. Let's go to 
Gentleman in the front row in the white shirt, Paul. Hi, Lord Trigger. Um, you've been very entertaining with some of your answers, and you've also given some very good advice that every business should keep a close eye on the numbers. You said to begin with that you know even small businesses should do on a fag packet and that sort of thing. Bigger businesses, obviously, proper management information. What would your advice be? Because I've run businesses of all sizes, from startups right through to the you know large companies. What would your advice be on the most important key performance indicators? What what are the KPIs that you really focus on financially hard for your businesses? Well, again, it, you can't generalise um, because here you have an array of different businesses. Here, if you if you have an in business like mine, one of the key things was the uh, turn the turn of inventory for example that's a killer uh, if you've got too much inventory and it gets a bit stale and gets a bit old uh, you have to start writing it down and that and that hits your profit and loss account but that wouldn't apply in the state or in, in the case of an estate agent who doesn't have inventory he just doesn't have any business at the moment right and he's got to go out and find some more punters to represent so it's a very difficult question for me to kind of generalise on because every different industry is different. Yeah, I, every every industry is different. I fully agree. I was asking for your KPIs for your business. Well, inventory was one thing. Uh, uh, um, credit uh, creditors and debtors, uh, cash flow uh, is the most important thing, and overheads, uh, making sure that uh, you and margins, of course. Um, it's about six or seven different items there but it's very it's very you've got to be careful I mean our business inventory was one of the most important things the, the stock of products is to not get it let it be too big uh, because it's a fast moving industry and before you know it uh, the prices are tumbling and you know uh, you could lose a lot of money uh, there yeah but um Debtors is another thing. Deal with companies that can pay, which helps, which we did, of course. We did with all the major retailers, so we didn't have a problem there. Um, and your own cash flow, really, not to bite off more than you can chew, really. All right, we've got time for a couple more. Uh, lady in the front row, Vicky. Hello, Lord Sugar. My name is Vicky Wachey. I heard what you said about Brexit and it's being a very uncertain time. But I wonder if through what you're doing, you could give us some advice for our businesses on how we can future-proof them. Is there anything we should be... <laughs> shaking it. But is there anything that we should be just considering? Don't know. Mm. Really don't know. I mean, for, I don't know what your business is, but for example, as I said to you, tariffs... This is the, one of the most important things as far as I'm concerned. Free trade. We must... Uh, I, I'm talking as about what I would like to see, but whatever, what happens is another issue. But free trade, move, free movement of goods has got to be important. Grandfathering in, um, I would say, people that uh, have worked here for many years uh, and are not British citizens, uh, you know, Europeans that I'm talking about, because there will come a time when... The, the, the gates will shut and it won't, won't prevent European people coming visiting us but what it will prevent is um, them working so you know I, I hope that they do grandfather them in um, after that I mean there's, there's uh, I, 
you know, millions of things that, that, that they've got to sort out. There's something like 20,000 different tariffs or categories they've got to deal with. But for, how can you future-proof something that we don't know what's going to happen? So it, just knuckle down, get on and do what you do yeah, on a daily I, I, basis? I, I, I suppose so. I don't know. What businesses do you have? Um, property investment, but also property education on the side. Right. So a well, bit I like suppose Ryan. that property is within the UK. I think you're pretty safe, uh, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. One more. Let's make it a good one. Okay, the lady is waving at me. Let's go to this lady here for the last question. Let's make it a good one. Thank you. Thank you. I think you'll like the question. Thank you, Lord Sugar. Yeah. Uh, so there's 400 something of us who've been here for the past two days frying our brains and learning about all kinds of ways that we can grow our minds and our business. Um, how much of a percentage would you suggest that we spend our time improving our own personal education about growing our business? And do you still spend any time uh, learning new tricks, new techniques in your business? Um, we're always learning. Um, you know, it's a, a constant learning curve. Everything, every single event that happens in business is something to be learned, you know. So I don't think you can ever stop learning. Um, and it comes with experience, I have to say, you know. Um, it, it, it is. I mean, I, I mean, the winners, the last five winners of The Apprentice that have gone into business with me are young people. And um, I've got a team of people that help them in growing their businesses. And it is, and it has shown me that my 50 years of business pays off <laughs> experience-wise in being able to advise them what to do and what not to do, yeah? So you're forever learning, forever learning and absorbing. And as long as you've got that absorption capacity, um, it, it's good to pick up and uh, learn about everything. Brexit, we're going to learn a lot from what happens. There'll be a tremendous learning curve uh, for us to adapt to whatever situation comes in. Even here we are at Heathrow at the moment. And I'm just going to say one thing, maybe that, you know, uh, if we were leaving this country and going to Germany or going to France, <laughs> we're going to have to adapt to perhaps allocate some extra time to get through the queues of people at immigration and join in the line with Americans and African people and all that, because that's what we'll have to do. Yeah, so that's an adaption uh, of, uh, of, of your time. It's a bad example. It's a sorry one to leave you on, uh, to, to leave you thinking about it, but uh, there you go. Lord Sugar, I know your time is precious. Thank yeah. you. All we right. are honoured and privileged to have had you here. Ladies and gentlemen, round of applause for Lord Sugar. Good. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Okay, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to Empire Builders. Please subscribe, leave us a review on Apple, on Spotify, on other platforms, and uh, share the love, tell your friends. Remember, till next time, the more you connect, the more you collect. <laughs>